0: At Red Barn, our pet food ingredients work overtime. They aren't just there for show. Dandelion greens work to maintain a healthy digestive system. Salmon oil works to enhance the immune system. Green-lipped mussels work to support joint health. These hard-working ingredients support your dog's active, healthy life. Look at the label. We want you to. Red Barn Naturals Pet Food. Simply the best. Find it in your local pet specialty store. Visit redbarninc.com coupon to save a dollar off your first can. Here's Joanne White.
1: Hello? Yo, one minute. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Power Your Life. I'm Joanne White, and today we have a very special guest. Years and years ago, when I was teaching special education and pioneered a program for the Philadelphia school system, there was so much not known about autism and children on the spectrum, and even today, we have some challenges in figuring out causes and what to do. However, we have an incredible expert on the show today, Dr. Temple Grandin, who is the most accomplished and well-known adult with autism. She's famed for her work with livestock handling equipment. Dr. Grandin is also a profound writer and speaker who's been featured on National Public Radio, The Today Show, Larry King Live, 2020, and many others, as well as being featured in several magazines, including Time and People, and the BBC special, The Woman Who Thinks Like a Cow, an Anthropologist from Mars by Oliver Sacks. Through her talks and numerous books, Dr. Grandin has been able to break down some of the walls around autism. After her initial explosion into the public consciousness in the mid-1980s with Thinking in Pictures, Temple Grandin turned the world of autism inside out, and she continues to help people understand what it's like and how to and how caretakers can and teachers can help and understand autistic children. Her mantra is that people with autism are different, not less, and often different and in many ways more. Welcome, Temple. How are you? It's great to be here. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you. And you were on my Power Your Life TV show some time back. And you have... I'm looking at these books right now. This book that came out just recently, 2015, The Loving Push, and also the yes. book on Temple Talks about Autism and the Older Child. And I just want to focus on that a little bit because you and I were having a brief conversation before the show, and we were talking about what needs to happen for teenagers and for young adults. So take, let's carry that. What's missing right now?
2: Well, the first thing I want to talk about is the broad range of autism. uh, Little kids are um, uh, no speech. um, You have a lot of um, similarities when they're really little. Like when I was three years old, I had no speech. You know, I looked really, really low functioning. But then you've got the kid that has uh, no speech delay. He's just socially awkward. So autism ranges from half the people that program computers in Silicon Valley to Einstein, who didn't talk until age three. There's some kids that ought to be gifted. To a child that can't dress themselves, even when he's a teenager. See, that's the problem, and people tend to lump it all together. Okay, I'm going to just uh, talk right now about the fully verbal segment, uh, that you know, is capable of reading at least at the USA Today level. The biggest problem I'm seeing is they're not learning work skills before they graduate from high school. When I was 13, my mother got me a sewing job. When I was uh, 15, I was cleaning horse stalls. I was painting signs and selling them. Uh, I uh, was out at my aunt's ranch, Uh, you know, taking guests on trail rides, had to wait on some tables. By the time I graduated high school, I had learned a lot of work skills. And I'm seeing too many kids getting overprotected and not learning basic stuff like shaking hands, ordering food in restaurants, shopping, stuff like that.
1: So these these are skills that you're talking about that really parents need to teach at home and make sure that that their children are getting it. You also talk about the need for parents to get their kids involved in more social activities, learn public transportation. And why are some of these the self-skills so very important for?
2: Well, you just have to learn them. And I think this is a difference between my generation and the generation now. When I was a little kid, I was a kind of severely autistic kid that used to just curl away in the 50s. But the kid that was socially awkward with no speech so I actually did better. And some of the, my classmates that would be diagnosed autistic today own businesses. Also, I've worked extensively in the cattle industry on building and designing cattle facilities. i worked with millwrights and welders that I know are on the spectrum. But in the 50s and 60s, social uh, rules were taught in a much more uh, rigid way. In fact, I saw a book the other day I really liked. I think it was called Smile for success for teenagers. It's right. a, um, a book for uh, people in stores, basic social skills, how to shake hands, look people in the eye, be positive, don't gossip. Uh, but, you know, we don't have paper routes anymore. But these kids have got to learn how to work because I go back out to the cattle places and there's a cowboy I know's on the spectrum. There's a really good no right that's probably on the spectrum. And another big problem is the schools have taken out all the skilled trades. I'd say about 20% of these fully verbal kids, a skilled trade, such as auto mechanic or diesel mechanic, is where they ought to go. But a child's not going to get interested in auto mechanics if he's never exposed to it. And too many schools have taken those sorts of things out. It's not for everybody, but there's a segment where a skilled trade would be just perfect.
1: So so what do you suggest, if schools are taking them out, what do you suggest to parents? Do they need to actually go to the different places? Do they need to first find out where their child's interests and talents are? Because many of these kids, like you say, are geniuses and have so many different talents. I work with one family whose son is autistic. He is so gifted at computers and, and being able to take machinery apart, and yet... He's in school, and they're not even looking at, at what his strengths are. How old is this kid? This kid is 19 years old.
2: Somebody needs to get him out in an
1: auto shop and
2: just start putting him to work. That's probably what needs to be done with him. Okay. He's not going to get interested in auto mechanics, and there's a ton of jobs, a ton of jobs right now, in auto mechanic, diesel mechanic, tons and tons of jobs. That's one so, place where we have a big shortage.
1: Right. So the thing is that, that what you're recommending, if the schools aren't providing it, that parents need to get in touch with, with facilities or, or actually be the ones to actually go out and advocate for their kids in that, in that area. Is that correct?
2: Well, also, they just got to get them doing jobs for other people outside the family. And I'm unfortunately, I see a lot of moms that are just for one time and their son was just sitting in his room. He was 15, um, you know, playing around, editing videos and their church, had some videos that needed to be edited. And I suggested that put him to work doing that. But I right. said he needs to do it in the church office. I want to get him out of the house. And the mom started getting really upset, saying she couldn't let go. This is a fully verbal kid. I talked to him and um but he's got to learn how to work outside the home. Let's just do simple things, like with 12-year-olds, walk dogs for the neighbors. you got two dogs every morning at 6 o'clock, and you got to walk them rain or shine. Uh, uh, my state, Colorado, allows safe retail jobs at 14. That would be something like an office supply store or a shoe store, you know, something of that sort. Uh, if, if it's a 16, then we've got to do other paper route substitutes. Okay, you have a friend that has a little insurance office. Have the kid come in and help with the office work. So, You've got, got you, to learn working skills. Got to learn them.
1: Why do you think some parents are reluctant to let go? I know when I was teaching children in in like the 1970s, nineteen seventies, nineteen eighties, that was a whole different arena for children with with autism, and and they didn't even talk about children on the spectrum, and many. Many physicians around that time, around in the 1970s, recommended institutionalization to parents, they, and, and, and there was a lot of shame, and a lot of kids were hidden. But today, it's a totally different arena. We still need more to, you know, there's still more to do, but why, why do you think some parents are still reluctant to, to do what you're suggesting?
2: I think they get locked. In the, into the label. And I discussed this in my book, um, The Autistic Brain. They get so locked on the label. Now, more recently, in 2013, the guidelines for the label were changed and it's broadened it way out. You know, it used to be autism, you had to have speech delay. Well, it was obvious in a really little kid that there was a big problem. Asperger's was no speech delay, but socially awkward. Now that's all put together. And people are not differentiating between a kid that might be a gifted auto mechanic or maybe a computer programmer from a child that can't dress themselves because as they get right. older, they kind of, you know, diverge into, into two groups. And, and, and what makes me really upset as I jump back and forth between the autism world, the cattle world, the meatpacking plant world, and I'm going to be doing a talk at a tech company uh, tomorrow, is, is I see people on the spectrum at the tech companies all the time. They're making $100,000 a year uh, because somebody taught them computer programming when they were young. Also, they learned work skills. They've got to do computer programming jobs that are signed. They can't just do what they want, and that's learning work skills. And we need to make a slow transition from the world of school to the world of work, and that needs to start middle school with things like walking dogs for the neighbors. You just set it up in the neighborhood.
1: So maybe parents, um,
2: maybe a kid could help an old lady with
1: her shopping, you know, twice right. a week. So parents need set to set it up start, in the neighborhood. Right. So parents need to start early to help their yes. kids. Kind of. Okay. Good. Now I'm looking at your book, The Loving Push, and you talk about the three P's for both parents and educators to use to guide children on the spectrum: um, permanence, pervasiveness, and personalization. What did, What do you mean by Permanent.
2: Those were actually Deborah Moore's uh, three piece. I collaborated with Deborah Moore.
1: Okay. And
2: uh, the way I'm going to put it is you've got to stretch these kids just outside the comfort zone. I can remember as a teenager, I was afraid to go to the lumber yard to buy wood by myself because I didn't want to talk to the clerks and mother made me go. you got to stretch them just outside that comfort zone, but no sudden surprises. Never have a surprise that, scares. But you got to stretch these kids or they're just simply not going to develop.
1: So when you say stretching them, you're talking about introducing them to new skills, to new people, yes. to different arenas yes. that, that they've not been exposed to. What what that's happens-
2: what I'm talking about. And let's start with young kids. When I was eight, nine years old, I would go into the little post office candy store and buy candy and, and, and popsicles you know, all by myself. Um, I had 50 cents for allowance when I was a little kid, and I knew exactly what I could buy with it. I could, I could get five comics with it, but if I wanted that 69-cent airplane, I had to save for two weeks. I learned that at a very young age. Ordering food in restaurants, I was doing that when I was 8, nine, ten years old. You know, that was just taught, and that's – every kid was taught. The other thing in the 50s is if I misbehaved in a store, the uh, employees of the store would correct me or neighbor's uh, parents would correct me. That was done with all kids in the 50s. And that's right, why some of the kids that are my, that are adults now that are retiring, I know people that run the maintenance shop at a major meatpacking plant. And I'm sure this old hippie is on the spectrum.
1: And he's run that maintenance shop for years. Do you think that people are more hesitant to correct kids now or that they're afraid yes. that- that parents are going to intervene, and there's, you know, lawsuits. Yes, uh, yes,
2: they are. Yes, they are. But in the fifties, grown ups always corrected kids.
1: Right. In so what? Childhood. So what's the solution if, if the, you know, you, you talk about it takes, it takes a village, which I totally agree. That's believe. right. That's, that's okay. Right. So, so how do we get a neighborhood? How do we get a community? What do parents need to do to kind of? Get the community engaged and involved to participate. To well, say you just
2: to- have got to work your, work your networks and just see what things you can find just in the community. Like I had one mom when I suggested the walking dogs for the 11-year-old or the 12-year-old, the mom says, well, we don't have a program for that. I said, I'm talking about setting it up for the next-door neighbors. But they've got to learn that discipline and responsibility of doing a job outside the home. And when I was 15, I was cleaning horse stalls and I cleaned over 2000 horse stalls over 3 years. Wow. And and what I learned from that was the responsibility and discipline of a job,
1: which everybody needs to know to be able to move into the the world of of jobs and and adulthood, right? And this needs Start
2: long before they graduate, because otherwise a lot of um, uh, service providers are talking about, you know, when they age out, they're jumping off a cliff. Well, that's going to be terrible. We need to be getting them trained to work so that when they age out, they go into a job.
1: You know, I I totally agree with you. And. A lot has changed because, like I said, what, I remember one of the children that that I worked with many years ago, who was labeled autistic, but was put in a class for the deaf before she was in my class because she was nonverbal and they and they and they yep. didn't they didn't know how to reach her. What are some shifts right now from that are into? The, are are focused more on neurological that's important for people to understand about children with sex?
2: Okay, one of the things is no surprises. Uh, You can have problems with sensory oversensitivity, like sound sensitivity. And sometimes in little kids you can desensitize this if the child has some control over it. So you can say, okay, you can have a headset around your neck, but what you want to try to do is not wear it. You can have it if you have to have it. But if you try to not wear it, then you might get, you know, so it gets to be less sensitive. Also, long strings of verbal instruction do not work. You cannot load working memory. That does not work. For example, let's say they're going to be trained for a job at McDonald's, and they're going to have to take apart the ice cream machine, clean it, put it back together again. They need a pilot's checklist, one, two, three, four, take apart step. One, two, three, cleaning steps. One, two, three, four, put-it-back-together steps where it's bullet points, like a pilot's checklist because um, I even I would have problems without that checklist. And when I was in graduate school and I worked in dairy at, at the um, at university farm, they had right. a checklist like that on the wall for setting up the dairy equipment, and that saved me. Because you do that wrong, I would have uh,
1: put soapy water into the milk tank, and that would
2: have gone <laughs>
1: So the idea is that if it's, if it's itemized like that, so it's, it's a, small, a small bite of information and systematized and organized in terms of – Well, you stif- just make a
2: pilot's that- checklist. So, you know, now, now, for something that's just two steps, you don't have to do that. But if it's something where, you, where, where it's a cleaning procedure for the grill or whatever it is, uh, you, know, you, you just put it on a pilot's checklist. And then two months, they'll, they'll throw the checklist away. Wait, they won't need it anymore. But what do he, not just – they. I do not remember long strings of sequential
1: verbal information. You know, and that's important because then people will say, well, that kid doesn't have any ability or that kid is stupid when it's really – that's not what's going on. And it's really important to understand the, the neural differences that are taking place with – not only just with, with children on the spectrum – what else do you see as some of the challenges that, that children on the spectrum are facing today, Temple? Well, let's not overgeneralize.
2: Little kids that are not talking, I can give you a standard answer about early intervention. That's gotten way better. But once they get older, they kind of go, you kind of have one group that's a real high-end, fully verbal, uh, doing grade-level work in at least one subject. Uh, and then you have kind of a middle group, partially verbal, and then you have ones that are nonverbal, and some of the nonverbals actually have a locked-in syndrome, and they can learn to type independently. And then there's some where you have other, other uh, uh, epilepsy and other problems mixed in with the autism. And I'm seeing too often in a special ed class, they're putting a smart 12-year-old who maybe ought to be in a gifted math program in with, uh, with the others that um, may have other, other severe problems like epilepsy and nonverbal, and they're just so- mixing it all together. They're right. overgeneralizing. Uh, teaching manners, teaching social skills, shopping, taking
1: turns at games. You've got to teach that to little kids. That was taught to me with board games. So, so ter- right, taking turns. So if schools are doing all of this in terms of so much generalization and, and are kind of linking children together that really could be best served in, you know, in different classes, what's the solution? What do we need to tell our our schools and our teachers and our administrators who are making who are making these decisions to to create change.
2: Well you see I'm a visual thinker, so I don't see when you think in words you tend to over generalize. And so they just autism and, and they just put it all together. But autism is such a big spectrum. Okay, if a kid's dyslexic, he's more or less normal except he has trouble with reading. That's much more narrow, but even in dyslexia there's different types of dyslexia. But they're just getting, you know, locked into the labels because I go over to the gifted conference. Here's another bunch of kids maybe in a gifted math program, and they're awkward in social skills. They're probably on the autism spectrum, but they're going down a different path. We've got to start looking at what this kid can do. When I was in third grade, my ability in art was always encouraged, and I was encouraged to do lots of different kinds of art projects. Always, always, always encouraged. Build on the thing that the child is good at. If it's mathematics... Then let him uh, do the harder math. Don't make him do baby math. Also, we need to look at different ways of teaching. Some kids are going to learn with a lot of hands-on shapes and hands-on type things. Other kids learn more verbally. Now, one of the problems he got in education is I think it's totally taken over with verbal, very top-down verbal thinking. Um, I have a little test for visual thinking I do. and It's a picture of an animal on... Going, coming out of a chute, and he's looking at something. I'm not going to say what it is because I don't want to have people know right. what it is. Right. And I show that the hands—they see it. I show that to educators and like maybe you know quite a few hundred people in the auditorium. I'm like, hands. That's all. They don't see it. And I'm a complete visual thinker, so my concept of what autism is is specific examples. And I'm seeing different types of kids like in each category of kind of you know different levels of autism. And then I see the Googleplex, and I know there's guys on the spectrum in there, and they're doing, they're doing really well in employment. And if they would have a problem, they'd have a problem with their marriage or with relationships. Now, where a diagnosis on the real high end helps is this helps with the relationships. Because I've got another book I did with Sean Barron called The Unwritten Social Rules, And that's where a diagnosis is helpful. I think on some of these really smart, fully verbal kids, uh, on the employment side i think the diagnosis is holding them back because i'm seeing too much parents are scared you know when i bring up something like have them go to work in your in your relatives office of their company you know it's an independent business right and and they're just scared to let them go and work in an office in a in a place they know it's in the family I think they... it's really important Outside the home, which that right. would have been.
1: Are, are they scared because they think the child is going to fail? Are they scared because they think that that they're going to get some complaints from relatives, family? Are they scared because they don't want and you know they they don't want any any recrimination coming from? I think whatever. some
2: of it. One mom just says, "I can't let go."
1: Mm.
2: They just seem to can't let go. Yeah. You know, and- that. And uh, it's almost like a handicap mentality. They're so much into the autism. they can't see this kid doing anything else. Mother really stretched me. After I'd learned how to drive and I was afraid to go to the lumber yard, you know, she says, oh, you're going to go to the lumber yard yourself. And you might talk to the clerk. She might cry. Yeah, I tried, but I've got the lumber bought. Now, that was an example of stretching me.
1: Right.
2: And when I was a little kid, she did other things with me to stretch me. You've got to stretch just outside the comfort zone. And if you don't stretch, they don't develop. Now, you could give them a choice. You could say to a kid, well, you can be Boy Scouts or robotics. In other words, give them a choice. So what can choose The the thing they're going to do. But um, just sitting around the house isn't going to be one of the choices.
1: You, You know, what you're recommending in terms of stretching oneself, I think is important for everybody. I think that we all need to learn how to stretch ourselves and, and, and see where we can go with that information you you raised an an issue that I want to go back and address a little bit if If many children are and again, I'm, I don't mean to generalize, but if children are thinking in pictures and you have teachers who are are looking at words, what do we need to do because i you know i got a, I had a master's and and i you know i I actually studied special education. I didn't learn what I needed to do to help these kids. I had to learn that. And, again, when I was going to school, there wasn't a lot of information. But what do we need to do with, with teachers who are teaching to kids and, and, they're, and they're teaching what kids are not getting?
2: Well, you see, the first thing you got to realize is there are different kinds of minds. And in my book, The Autistic Brain, I describe the visual thinker, photobalistic visual thinker like me, the word thinker and then also the pattern or mathematical thinker. I also have scientific journal articles that show that these types of thinkers exist. Now, just yesterday, I visited a really nice elementary school, and one of the science projects they did I thought was super cool. They had the kids uh, take some flexible pipe and build roller coasters with uh, loop-de-loops and put, a, and put a marble through it. And then wow. they do a contest. They make all these different designs, and the marble has to not fall out, and it has to do the whole roller coaster and you know the more loops you have the more points you can get but maybe you won't have enough gravity to have enough momentum to get right. through the uh, get through all the loops that's the kind of projects i really really like you know and then you can talk about physics and things like this and these, they were made of kinds of clever things just out of you know pieces of hose and and uh, duct tape and uh, they provided some of uh, uh, i don't know this kind of stuff they wrap pipes with insulated uh, that the, they could make the the roller coaster out of, you know, that's the sort of stuff that, you know, we need to be doing more of that, and recognizing there are different kinds of thinkers. And and one thing I I'm really horrified about this when I learned borrowing and subtraction in third in third grade,
1: mm-hmm. you know, you
2: you bring the number over and you mark the paper, and then some people are expecting kids to do borrowing and subtraction without marking the paper. Oh, there's no way I could have done it if I couldn't have marked the paper. But that's the way all kids were taught in the 50s.
1: What do you think now, because I actually have worked with some parents and also teachers, and the testing that they're doing, it's like they just oh, spent They're the going lap-
2: crazy on the, amount of, on the amount of testing that's going on. They're just absolutely going crazy. The other big problem I'm seeing with a lot of smart kids is video game addiction. And Deborah Moore wrote a great chapter in The Loving Push on the video game problem. I also helped her review the literature. And it's an addiction. And we've got to get that under control because I'm hearing too often he's 19, I can't get him out of the basement. He's 21, I can't get him out of the bedroom playing video games all day. We've got to limit that to an hour a day. I, they're, they're, and they're having bad outcomes.
1: Well yeah because they're not socializing they're not learning other skills they're just they're just focused in one area and 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 they're also getting upset if they can't do that I I agree with you I think testing is totally out of hand and it's gone think, out of hand and I don't think that it's it's really changing I mean the whole idea of testing is to see where kids are but let's edu- let's spend more time educating them <laughs>
2: How do well, I, you know, we gotta, you know, we need our art minds. I, mean, I have a talk that I do on different kinds of minds, and I, I did that in my TED talk, but then on my updated version of the different kinds of minds, I talk about why we need visual thinkers. Well, to prevent accidents like Fukushima. That was a visual thinking mistake. Uh, the mathematician is going to have to design a nuclear reactor. I can't do that, but maybe I need to help on the safety systems. And the reason why it burned up, is they put that super important emergency cooling pump and the generators that run it in a non-waterproof basement. Not too smart when you live next to the sea. Simple submarine-type waterproof doors would have prevented
0: it.
1: Wow. That's amazing. Now, you've worked with animals. You've really helped to transform the industry to make it more humane and and, and wonderful. What do animals teach children, and not just horses, but all different kinds of
0: animals? Well,
2: you know, taking care of even a gerbil in the classroom uh, teaches responsibility. And I think it's too bad that, you know, schools are getting so worried about allergies and stuff, they're not allowed to have a gerbil in the classroom. Uh, taking care of an animal teaches responsibility for another living thing. Um, for some kids on the spectrum, the dogs are wonderful. Other kids are, are afraid of dogs because of, of a sound that might bark or, or uh, make a sound that scares them. Um, but, but I think what, what I'm seeing now is kids are just not getting out doing enough different kinds of stuff. People ask me all the time, how to they get interested in cattle? I was exposed to them when I was 15. That's how I got, you know, so. just like the kids are not going to get interested in auto mechanics and engines if they're not exposed. Let's start a small engine repair fixing old broken lawnmowers the 4-H program you know through the extension service has an excellent small engine repair program and what would be just great in the neighborhood is get a retired car mechanic to teach the youngsters that are 11 and 12 on how to fix small engines that get them interested in engines. then they're going to find out do I love engines or do I hate them but they're not going to know unless they're exposed and that's and I'm pushing the auto shop stuff because there's so many jobs available right now in auto mechanic and diesel mechanic. There's a huge shortage because schools took out those things.
1: You know, I totally agree with you about exposure, and we only have a few minutes left. What do you want to leave our listeners with about the, the challenges that parents, that educators, that that children and, and adults on the spectrum are facing other than what we talked about throughout the show?
2: Well, you've got to remember it's a very broad spectrum. Do not overgeneralize. When parents come up to me and ask me this, I go, okay, how old? If he's three, not talking, and a lot of strange behavior, I can give you a standard answer on intervention, early intervention. But once I get a little older, I have to have a lot more information. How well is he talking? Um, how's he doing in school? What's he good at? Can he dress himself? And then I'm able to give, you know, better advice. You know, a fully verbal um, teenager well, needs to be learning job skills starting in middle school. Can Dogs for the neighbors. That could be helping an old lady um, shopping or even help cleaning her house. That's something you set up in the neighborhood. And if your state is a 14 for safe retail, then 14 are going into safe retail. Um, 16, they definitely need to be doing it. Otherwise, set things up in the neighborhood, you know, with a you know, some independent business, and they can do a safe job like working in the office. You know, we've got to get this job done because uh, they've got to learn working skills before they graduate from high school. Otherwise, they are jumping off a cliff. And even for the more severe ones, they need to start doing stuff outside the home. There's a tendency to overprotect. We also have got to make sure these kids do not become recluses in their room. That's something I was absolutely not allowed to do. You know, when it gained time to come go to my aunt's ranch, I was given a choice. Could I, I could go for a week and come home, or I could stay all summer. Not going wasn't an option. I stayed all summer. You give choices,
1: but staying like, in your
2: room all the time is not one of them.
1: You know, I like that idea of choices because it, 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 it firstly. You're, you're allowing the child to think independently and also to, yes. to make a – they have to make a decision, but at least they have choices so that they can – well, they feel that, that they're the ones that are in charge and in control.
2: Well, what- when I got, got thrown out of high school for fighting in ninth grade, I had to go to special school, and mother had, had worked as a journalist looking at special schools, and she let me visit – she took me around to visit three special schools that she liked. And she said, you can pick the one you like. You see, again, that still was some choices. Right. But it can be something simpler, like is it Boy Scouts or robotics? Or is it um, the sewing class or, you know, ballet or art or band or choir? You know, you give some choices.
1: What's next for Temple Grandin? You said you're working well, on another Well, I just think book.
2: that um, I, I want to see the kids out there, and, of course, I really relate to kids that are more like me. I want to see them be everything they can be. And it frustrates me when I go out in the cattle world and I'm seeing people I know are on the spectrum that are retirement age now, that have had good careers, go out to Silicon Valley. I see them all over the place. They're 10 years older than the teenagers now. And then I see a teenager just sitting in his room playing video games, and he's never had a job when he graduates from high school, hasn't had a job before graduating from high school.
1: That's very upsetting. And again, they have gifts to share. They have information. They do. right? Because
2: I look at these singers. Okay, they just, you know, Prince just died. You know, I look at all, I've read the stuff on Prince. I just wonder about him. I think a lot of these entertainers are a bit on the spectrum.
1: I do too. And some of them have been identified that way too. That's right. You're working on a new book. Is that correct? Well, well, the book
2: I'm working on, well, we've got The Loving Push. Uh, uh, I'm working on some other other things now, livestock stuff. But um, when it comes to autism, I just want to see kids be everything they can be and there's a tendency to overprotect, and they're not going to develop. You see, a a person on the spectrum keeps developing, but they've got to be stretched just outside that comfort zone. If you don't stretch them, they're not going to develop. Even ones that are more severe can develop.
1: Now, you go into schools, and you talk to to kids, and you also do a lot in the community. Do you actually do some training for parents?
2: Well, I do a lot of talks to parents. I do a lot of lectures where parents and teachers both go to the lectures. I've done talks for a company called Future Horizons. I've done a lot of uh, talks at universities. Lots of parents come to that. And the same things I'm telling you now I say in these talks.
1: Good, because they need to hear them. And I've been saying them. Right. You know, I, I love what you're doing. I think it's so important. And I think that, like you said, I think it's time that we wake up to recognize that, that we have to really take charge of these kids' future. And like you said, it has to yes. start early enough so we can do that. That's right. What well,
2: you well, you're always, no sudden transition. See, even if something simple like when the kid has to change classes in high school, maybe this is a more you know more uh, severe kid. Uh, one O T told me do a little like countdowns like to the rocket launch. You know 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, Change classes. Right. You know sometimes something like that is. But then you take the fully verbal kids. Uh, I mean it is jumping off a cliff if you've never worked before you graduate from high school. We need to start middle school jobs outside the home that we just set up in the neighborhood
1: well i'm in total agreement with you and i know how busy you are temple grandin thanks so much for for being on the show today and thanks for all that you're doing to create awareness and and education both in autism the spectrum and also animal husbandry thanks so much
2: well thank you very very much
1: my pleasure have a blessed day Thank you. What's very important is everything that Temple said in terms of really starting young with with children on the spectrum, and something that that Temple Grandin emphasizes, and I agree when you see one child with autism you've only seen one child with autism or one child on the spectrum so you can't generalize and and Temple stressed that so beautifully and i think it's important another another point that i think was important is that when you if you're a parent you have to get comfortable with taking your kid outside and and not only for socialization reasons but also to help provide job opportunities and not to be afraid to do so so thanks temple for all that you teach remember you have the ability everyone who's listening you have the ability to take your life in your hands you have power within you and you need to exercise it just like parents need to exercise their abilities, and teachers need to recognize that, again, that children are different, not the same, and we need to teach to their skills as well as their differences. Next week, we have, on May 4th, we have Dr. Joe Rubino, who is an expert in teaching children and adults about self-esteem, and we're going to pick his brain about that. And remember, each and every day, Temple was talking about getting out of your comfort zone for children on the spectrum. Make sure that you're doing that. I find that when I do that, I'm growing. And when I encourage other people to do that, even if there's an initial fear, once you do something and that you thought was impossible, it creates more confidence and more belief in yourself. Thanks so much for joining us. And remember, this is Autism Awareness Month. And my book, which is about working, true story, about my working with children with autism and special needs, More Heaven, Because Every Child is Special, is on Amazon, Outskirts Press, and Barnes & Noble. And you can also visit me on my website, docwhite.org, www.docwhite.org. Love to hear from you. Thanks so much for joining us.